Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Have you ever met someone and thought their job sounded cool? Or perhaps you're wondering how you can get to a position that doesn't seem to match any of the qualifications you have at the moment. Well, if so, this podcast is for you. We found some people with jobs that you might not necessarily know about or expect people to have, and we're going to ask them about how they got there. Welcome to What Do They Do? A podcast about jobs and how people got them. So this week, we're speaking to Geminatu Alabi Asama. I don't want to go into too much detail about what she does just yet, because we'll get there in due course. But massive thanks for joining us, Gem. And so we'll start with the first question that we ask everyone that comes on, which is, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> well, thank you for having me, um, Ben and Dean. Um, this is interesting. So when I was in like elementary school or primary school, I wanted to be um, like a radio presenter. Um, I used to, so funny, I used to like, um, my mom really loved Reader's Digest. I don't know if you know that, that magazine. Yeah. Um, and so I used to read some of the stories in them, um, uh, like record myself with the reading the stories on, uh, from them. And then um doing like little commercials in between and then I'll give it to her and she'll put it in her car. And that's what she would listen to. Like when she'd go to work and I just love the sound of my voice. So I would do that all all the time. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a radio presenter and I'll do stories from Reader's Digest. Um, And then as I got a little older, like into high school, uh, my mom got really sick. And so I'm like, no, I got, I want to be a doctor. Right. Cause you know, we're giving her, medications. I'm going to every doctor's appointment. I'm asking questions. So I'm like, I'm going to be a doctor. And then um, we got to college (laughs) and uh, pre-med started off okay. Um, And then I was like, actually, this is not it. Nope. I need to go into public health. I need to understand the policies around it and um, how it affects society. So I uh, pivoted my major into health science and uh, public health, um, a double major in sociology. So um, that was sort of like what I wanted to be um, as I grew up, but it, it changed over time. And it, it was, it's funny because the college I went to, I didn't really, it's called Brandeis University um, in, in Waltham, Massachusetts. And um, I didn't really know too much about the school. But um, my mom said, like, a lot of the doctors that she worked with went to this school called Brandeis. And so this is something that you should consider. And um, so that that I literally do things, you know, to make sure my mom's happy and she's okay. And so that's sort of how um, I guess the trajectory towards um, the different types of uh, jobs I wanted as as a kid came to be. Because you grew up in Boston, is that right? In Boston, yeah, Boston, Massachusetts. And did you like? It was your whole your whole sort of childhood in Boston? Yeah, so I was born in Jersey, New Jersey, um, and then we were raised in Boston um, up until I didn't leave Boston until my final year of university. That original job that you were talking about being a radio presenter, like, did that come <laughs> from somewhere, or you just thought it was cool? Like, did you see someone that you looked up to? 
No, I just really like the sound of my voice. I heard it recorded <laughs> once. Um, my mom used to let us do the um, the voicemail intros. You know, back then you can create yeah, yeah. your own. Yeah. So she used to let us do them. And I just, we would do playbacks. I'm like, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is for me. So um, I used to just, you know, do the Reader's Digest because I knew she liked reading them. So I'm like, okay, let me just read the stories for you, do the characters and then um, record little um, commercials in between. And um, yeah, only because I wanted to play it back. No, it's awesome. <laughs> I love that she would play it in her car as well. I think that's yeah. so cool that she got her own personal <laughs> go based on what you read from Reader's Digest. Yeah. Also, as a, as a parent during, <laughs> so we're recording this sort of, what, during lockdown? Lockdown is easing, but we are, we are in that stage. And as a parent, Whenever your kid suggests something which is like just really interesting, that kind of task, you're like, yep, yeah, 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 do it for as long as you like. So I bet your mom was so happy, like, can I read and also record and then provide that for your journeys? She must have been. The first audiobook for me. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's that's the career that you missed is being an audiobook reader. this links later on to something we'll never, never have to talk about, something you mentioned just before we came started yeah. recording about a course you're taking, but maybe we'll save that one. Yeah. And Jen, without giving too much away about what you do now, because we'll come to it properly later, how mm-hmm. does what you're doing now relate to the degree that you got at university? Oh, it's so interesting. It doesn't. Um, <laughs> maybe the sociology side of things, but it doesn't. But I think it's my experiences outside of the classroom, I think, shaped the way, um, shaped actually what I'm doing now and how I approach um, just the world of work. Um, I've always been, and I guess we'll get to that, but um, my journey through what I'm doing now, but I've always been um, like a student leader. I've always built relationships, networked really well, um, very approachable. So it's interesting how, well, the school I went to, it's really hard to be a, to be an introvert, um, even though I'm like a half introvert, half, half extrovert, there's certain things I like to do, but yeah. I was a cheerleader in university and, um, you, yeah, you had to be on stage all the time and out there. And so, um, I think that environment outside of the classroom sort of built the, uh, the way I work. And I'm, I'm lucky enough to work with Jam. And so I can definitely personally back up the fact that her network is amazing. I always, I literally just messaged Jem the other day, actually saying, you always know people. There was a job that I saw came up. You always know people, Jem. Send this out to the people that, you, that you've got. Um, and yeah, it's 100% that's true. And I definitely want to learn how to better network from you. I think maybe that's something we should talk about as well. Yeah. How, how do you build like such a good network? And it is through that leadership that it sounds like that you first did in university um what what were you doing in university in those roles okay so actually let's take it back to high school so i was um i rode in high school so uh if you know boston very well you know the charles river is really famous and so but rowing um wasn't big in inner city schools and so um we sort of had had to compete against a lot of the suburban schools that had all the money to, you know, have their own boathouse and practice every day. And we were the kids that practiced like three times, uh, three times a week. And it was after school. And so um, I became captain there um, at uh, during rowing in high school. And that was for four years. And so I sort of and it, it, it was because I was my coach would always say you were you led by example. Right. It's not like, you know, um, we had a runoff and people voted. It's just that you're a leader. You lead by example. And so we want people to get their um, ERG scores up. So if you know the rowing machines, um, get your ERG scores up like you're always at practice on time. And you're um, a pure example of someone who's um, has never done this sport before. And then you're off uh, winning medals in with your group of fours and eights. And so I started leadership there. Um, and then that's when someone said to me, like, Jem, you're, you're a leader, like people just want to do well. And so, you know, be that person. Um, and then when I got to college, I was like, Ooh, 
rowing's early in the morning in college. (laughs) 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 Yeah, all all universities would row from 6 a.m. onwards. um, But in high school, you can row in the afternoons. Um, Again, we're sharing the Charles River. So when I saw that, I was like, okay, maybe rowing's not my thing. Um, (laughs) So when I got into cheerleading, for the first two years, um, I was just following along, trying to, you know, you know, get everything down. And then my third year, um, I became a captain. And um, that also means you're putting routines together. Just <laughs> <laughs> So working really closely, with, uh, even hiring our coach, it was up to the captains. Like me and uh, my friend Steph and Angela, like we had to find our, a new coach. Um, so dealing with budgets, getting new uniforms, like all of that has just shaped the way I've managed things. Um, and then in addition to that, I was also an orientation leader um, on campus. So new students to Brandeis, I will give you your tour, um, let you meet other students, tell you about the clubs we have, and really just sell the school. Like you made the right decision, guys. So again, um, still being a leader representative or slash ambassador or something. Um, and then I actually started uh, the African Student Organization on campus because we didn't have one. And I'm just like, how is that possible? Um, because we had so many international students. Um, we had the We had the Black Student Network, which was great. But we left out a pocket of people that were new to the country. And so um, sometimes any of the issues we were discussing in the Black Student Organization didn't really resonate with students just came from Africa and they just want to go to school, right? Um, so I decided to start that. And um, what's interesting at Brandeis is that we, you have to almost defend the clubs you start. You can start any club. We had a club for everything, for such a small school. We had over 200 clubs, again, and there were like maybe 3,500 of us. So it was a club for everything. But you had to go in front of the school board to defend why you need to start a club and who's going to lead it and create the bylaws, et cetera. And I got into, I got in front of, um, front of the committee and they were like, what's the difference? Like, what's the difference between the black student organization and the African student organization? And I was like, what? First of all, take away everything, the food, the culture, like, what do you mean? Mm. What's the difference? And so they were like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Just like, and some of the issues that a, a new student would face, um, you know, being new to the country and coming to a school like Brandeis um, would really just affect them in a different way. Right. And I felt like if we had more of a, a club that would center around the African culture, people would um, enjoy their experience even more um, at, at school. So I'm, I'm happy to say uh, defending that was great. Um, and we got the club and it still started in 2008. And it's no, this is not 2008. Sorry, I'm, I'm dating myself. <laughs> this is like 2005, <laughs> no, 2006, 2006. Um, the club started um, and then uh, we it's still running today, actually. Um, and the three of us that started the club, we're still really good friends till this day. So I hope <laughs> that answer your leadership question. It's just if I see there's an issue or something that hasn't been done yet, I'm always the one that's like, you know, but why or can we? Um, and then sometimes I'm, I've been put into situations that require me to become a leader. So you wouldn't say, like, it sounds then that, issues pop up around do you find yourself sort of looking around going anyone anyone okay i'll take this then um i I don't know actually no no i need to be passionate about it like yeah there's so many things that i'm like oh i wish somebody would just own that but if if i'm not passionate about it or i don't know i can't find someone to sort of who has the expertise, maybe, I wouldn't really put myself in a situation where I can't do well. 
I think that's the specific thing that you just talked about as well, starting up a new club, even though they had this like black student network already, seems quite pertinent with what's happening in the world right now as well, right? Mm -hmm. And just like a small example of systemic racism, like, Mm -hmm. and it was through ignorance that they were like, well, you know, what's the difference? Um, And I feel like you work at Google now, so we're kind of gradually revealing (laughs) what's happening. And you also... (laughs) You also were co-chairing the UK Black Googler Network. Yeah. And did, does some of your experience from what you did at university kind of get brought into that? Well, yeah, because um, it, the, you have that, you know, community leadership uh, galvanizing feel um, to, to, you know, building such a network like the, the Black Googlers Network. Um, so I had to draw on some of those experiences because we do more than just um, meet here and there, but it has to be a way to showcase um, the different cultures, uh, the different Black cultures um, in the UK, um, bringing allies on board. Um, some people are afraid of what they don't know. So if you attend our events and we highlight some of the the holidays or even some of the issues that we're facing and you're there, so I feel like it um, helps people understand um what it means to be black in the UK or even black in the US. Um, so we we had different um, approaches to it. And we also had Googlers in the UK that, you know, were moving to moving to the UK for the first time. Um, and so also having a place for where they feel welcome um, at Google, or they have a home at Google. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I feel like everything you've just talked about kind of strikes me as leadership, even when you're not a leader in inverted mm-hmm. commas, right? Yeah. And just stepping up and actually leading by example, like your rowing coach said back at high <laughs> school. And I think that feels like a skill that just seems really important in every job today, right? Like yeah. everyone should be a leader, regardless of whether you're a manager of people or you actually lead a specific project, you should still consider yourself a leader. Do you, yeah. do you agree with it? Do you kind of see that in the work that you do as well? Oh, for sure. And I actually attribute that, my student leadership at university, to how I even got into Google. So right after college, I um, it was the World Cup, 2010 World Cup. Now you know my age. And (laughs) in South Africa, and I was like, okay, my roommate and I said, okay, uh, we've graduated from university. Our gift to ourselves is to go to the World Cup, right? You know, and I've never, I haven't really done that before. I hadn't traveled that much, but like, I'm going to go. So we went to the World Cup and um, spent about six weeks there. And I'm like, well, since I'm in Africa and it's the summer, right before I have to go back to real life, I'm going to go visit my family in Ghana. So I did that. And um, what was supposed to be a summer turned into like three years because I absolutely loved the country and um, I got a role at Google. Um, And what was interesting was they asked, they asked if anyone had just moved to the region and was interested in a couple of roles. So I sent my CV and, um, one of the roles was university programs coordinator. And they were they wanted to start um, the Google Student Ambassador Program across the continent. Um, but obviously, they've been looking for a while. And at th- then, the only experience I had was, you know, my leadership experience in school and a couple of internships in public health. The only relevant thing was starting community groups on campus, which is what Google wanted to do. And um, Africa at the time was uncharted territory. So... I guess they said, let's give this girl a chance. Um, because I remember asking my manager at the time, like, why? <laughs> so um, that led to my first role in the Google Ghana office. And um, I ran the Google Student Ambassador Program for Sub-Saharan Africa um, for a number of year, couple of years. So it was what, 100 universities in 12 countries. Um, so we had... Um, we tasked these students to run events on campus, showcase uh, Google Apps at the time, um, help them train others on AdWords and take part in some of the global competitions that they 
um, actually weren't aware about. Um, they they didn't know we had the um, Google Online Marketing Challenge. It was open to, to students of, of the continent, but it was more about awareness. So we, I saw that as a gap and I said, okay, what if we had trainings for this competition? Because if you look back at some of the the schools that were doing well, it was a lot of the schools in the U.S. And we found out that there were courses at these universities mm. specifically to online marketing. So, of course, they're going to do well in the competitions. So um, we decided to just change the way instead of just promoting Google Apps on campus, let's do peer to peer training on products that make Google money, um, which is, at the time was AdWords. And so that that would be a great way for some of these students to learn something outside of their school curriculum and potentially get a job um, at places like Google, which they probably wouldn't have thought of. Right. Um, We also made sure we had trainings on um, computer science outside of their school curriculum. Um, And so by running that program across um, 100 universities, we also had like really large um, summits where we had to plan and fly everyone to one country um, and do trainings uh, so that they can go back into their universities um, and I guess spread the Google message. So (laughs) definitely had to take my um, student leadership hat and think about, okay, every country's different. Who are the types of people that we want um, to work with us? Um, We need to go, at first, when I joined, it was, let's go for people who are doing really well in computer science. And, you know, those are going to be our student ambassadors. But no offense, they're not all extroverts. We need people that are going to get, you know, hundreds and thousands of students interested in Google. So I said, why don't you go for the existing student leaders? Who's the student body president of um, these universities, right? Who do they work with? They have connections in the school that, I'm sorry, you student that had really great grades in computer science may not have. Um, and may be too afraid to, to, to ask or connect. So uh, just rebuilding that program um, to, to, where, to where we wanted it to be so that was effective. Um, I think drawing on those college experiences uh, really helped. So, yeah. And I'm really glad to say, like, the students in the program have done so well today. Uh, The program ended in, I think, 2013, 2014. Um, Some of these students uh, are Googlers today in different countries. Um, Dublin, U.S., Nigeria, uh, Kenya. Um, a lot of these students have also gone on to start their own um, agencies, um, helping other businesses get online, uh, managing their AdWords, and they're doing really well. So um, I think it was a great way for for Google to to invest in a region, and then uh, for me to utilize my skills from school, especially I was fresh out a fresh graduate, um, and then marry the two to where. Um, People are, you know, in roles that they probably wouldn't have thought of. So you said um, you had family in Ghana, which was kind of the, the, the first impetus. Was your trip to the World Cup your first time in Africa or had you, had you been able to visit family um, I went, before? It was actually my second time. I went to Ghana when I was six um, and spent a year there. So I went to first grade in Ghana. Oh, man. <laughs> It's a whole other story, but um, my mom's like, yeah, we're going to go visit family. You know, I'll send you guys off uh, with your uncle. He's going to take you to Ghana for a few for holiday. Right. I thought it was a holiday. That holiday turned into a year. And (laughs) um, I was really grateful because we we knew we were African, but we had never really experienced the language, the food, like you, you just speak to your relatives on the phone and that's it, right? So being there for a year, you saw, we got to play with kids and like go to school, understand. I remember fighting with someone about how to spell the word elephant. I will never <laughs> forget this. Like, I'm like, you're really gonna, we're sick. You're really gonna tell me how to spell elephant. Like there's definitely a P in elephant. <laughs> um, but I, I'm grateful for that experience because when I got back, I'm like, yeah, I'm African. Like, oh, man. And then coming back um, after university for the first time, you realize you're not as African as you think. <laughs> so I had to really 
<laughs> so American. That's a really build up, especially going uh, to the World Cup and understanding there's different there's different countries, different cultures. Not everybody eats the same food. Like it's weird as it sounds, you're in this bubble, this little African bubble household in America. So like you're stuck there. But mm. going to the World Cup really opened my eyes. And then again, as an adult going to Ghana, you're just like, there, there's so much I can learn and so much I can teach. So um, I was really grateful for that experience. But it, yeah, it was my second time, but first time as an adult. Do you think that first visit, that year that you spent there, would have had an influence on setting up the, the African society that you did at university in terms of having that connection? Or do you think that would have been something that you would have spotted anyway? No, I think I think that was part of it because I'm like, Again, I, I thought I was African, right? I went when I was six, so you can't tell me anything, right? I thought I knew what people needed and, you know, I, I eat the food and um, I'm Ghanaian, I'm Nigerian. So I really thought um, I knew everything, but it it gave me, um, I guess I was closer to it. Like it made it, made it um, although we had the Black Student Organization, I knew I wasn't Black American, like African American. I knew that um, I had a, I knew where my family was from. So I felt that was where the disconnect came from. And so students that were new to the, to the, um, to the school and new to the U S I felt like I could help that, you know, Um, even though (laughs) I've only visited once, uh, I felt I knew everything, but um, it was definitely eye opening. And um, I think, it's good that I felt that way. I don't know if anyone else would have started it because there were definitely Africans going to Brandeis long before I was there. So, right. um, I don't know. Without a doubt, that would have made a difference to their experience there, right? It would have made it more yeah. positive. It would have helped them settle. Um, and actually, talking of settling, how was it just to go from America where I guess in your mind you were just going to get into a career in like public health initially in America and then you find yourself in Ghana working for Google um, <laughs> in a completely different field to where you thought you were headed with your degree. Like, yeah. what was that? Was that a shock to the system to start with? You know, I think we're, we're lucky enough to travel around a bit and I've visited a lot of places and done training and so on, but I've never gone and lived somewhere else and worked <laughs> somewhere completely like in a different country, right? Yeah. Um, well, the great thing about it was that I, I was already there for about, I think I was there for about a year before the Google role came in. So right. I, was meeting, I was so busy meeting family and like um, having so much fun in Ghana, but then at some point you need to get a real job. So I was grateful <laughs> when the, the Google experience came to be. But um, because I knew I was making tangible impact, it didn't matter where I was. Um, it just mattered that I was happy with the job I was doing. And I knew um, that I was like supposed to be in this sort of field. So like the idea of Google for education definitely resonated with me and, and the mission. Cause usually you're not supposed to, yes, you can be happy in the role you're doing, but there needs to be um, a general purpose, a general mission for your life, no matter what role you're doing. So as long as that was always the case, it didn't matter where the role was located. I was just glad that it was in a place where I had roots, had family and had a place to stay. <laughs> That's really interesting. What is your personal mission? So for me, it's, I just need to be able to see and feel tangible impact in whatever I'm doing. So if I'm, if my role is to do X, the person on the receiving end needs to be either learning something new or improving their surroundings or their businesses or um, yeah, or their way of work, right? It just need, there needs to be some sort of an improve, improvement in whatever I'm doing. So if I'm just in a role for the sake of being in it, you're not, you, you're going to get stressed. You're going to get burnt out. Um, so for me, there needs to be a tangible impact, tangible um, outlook to anything that whoever I'm dealing with um, has. And so uh, you started this, or you worked on this program in Ghana. You made yeah. some really amazing changes that made a massive difference, right? And you're still connected with some of the student ambassadors yeah. from back then. 
what what next after the program closed where did you go from there oh so before the program closed actually um i got opportunity to work in the nigeria office and um work on the google educator groups that were launching at the time um in in africa but we didn't launch in nigeria we launched in south africa and so we were focused we've done the student thing so in the meantime now focus on educators and building those communities um, around educators. So when that program sort of was settled and um, our team reorged and I got the opportunity to move to the UK. And so it, it was a shock and I, I'm still like, <laughs> can't believe I'm here. Um, <laughs> it was a shock because I'd never been to the UK at the time. Actually, no, I lied. Um, I went once for a training because my manager for the student ambassador program was based in the UK. So, and I, and my uncle lives there, so I know him. Right. And so going that, uh, going for the trainings, it was great, but um, it was only a week training. So you can't know the UK in a week. So Mm -hmm. um, when I got the opportunity to to move, I was unsure because I'm like, Oh, okay. I know the U S I know Ghana, but what am I doing in Europe? Um, And my manager just said, you're young. It's this is the time, right? If you're gonna try and do anything else, and who's you? No one can take that from your CV, right? You've worked in the U.S., you've worked in Africa in two countries, and now you're gonna work on Europe, and um, that will always stick with you. So take that leap, take that opportunity. So yeah, and now I'm here. It's been five years. And so. What what year was it that you came for the role in the UK? Uh, 2015. Yeah. And obviously what you're doing now is actually a bit different to how you started with your role in the UK, right? Can you tell us a bit about kind of the role that you stepped into, which was actually quite different to what you'd been doing before and then how that has turned into what you're doing now? Yeah, so the role I had, um, so I was on the... Google for Education team, but it was on the sales side. So you're literally calling schools, um, pitching the product, events left and right, presenting. But it was an uphill battle. It was really an uphill battle because I hadn't done sales before. Um, So it was a a learning curve. And I I thought about it and I was like, okay, Jem, you can do this because you're, you're great at building relationships. You understand the products. You know what schools are looking for. But you need to sort of understand the challenges and pain points for schools um, so that when you are, you know, selling, quote unquote, it's really funny or interesting to say sell with education. But when you are selling these ed tech tools and products, you have, yeah, that pain point for the IT manager is different from the um, the head teacher is different from uh, the teachers themselves, like the, for, again, and even within the group of teachers, it's different between math and geography. Like everyone has a pain point. And so understanding that um, took a while because again, I, although it was education, I was working with the end user, the students themselves. So this was different um, working with the key stakeholders that are going to purchase. So yeah, it was, it was I admit, whoever's listening, it was a struggle, <laughs> but I liked it. <laughs> You you mentioned sales, and I've definitely had a bit of a struggle with that concept. I think maybe I thought that sales is like what you see on The Apprentice, right, where someone with a lot of bravado says, I'm an amazing salesperson. And that just means that they just don't stop asking until someone finally gives in and gives them some money. Seems to be that was my impression. But I feel feel like sales has maybe got a bad rep in that way. Yeah. There's, there's relationships, there's trust, and there's, like you say, identifying people's genuine pain points day to day that they want to get over. And if you've, if you've got something that will provide them with a solution to make that an easier process to get to their goals, mm-hmm. I feel like that's sales too, of just picking yeah. out the bits that, that line up. And you don't have to be pushy. Jim, when you moved into that role... Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way 
an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Like you said, you have all this amazing experience. Like your leadership is clearly phenomenal. You come up with these ideas that make a big difference to these programs and reach whole new people. You see this visible impact, which feels very important personally as well. Yeah. What was the biggest gap that you had to fill and how did you go about filling that gap? Like if someone's listening now and they're thinking, well, I'm in this role, but I am also moving into a sales role or something just completely different from what I'm doing. How did you feel that and how long did it take? Was it comfortable or uncomfortable? Oh, that's where your 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 network is your net worth, right? So <laughs> so understand people who are in similar roles and tap on them, you know, tap them and ask for advice. Um luckily I had a really good team, a group of colleagues that, you know, would help there were times where I'm like, oh, what am I doing here <laughs> and struggling? Um, understanding the sales side. It's different from building those relationships, but the sales side. So feeding off of my network of people and then also talking to teammates who are on other Google sales teams, just sort of understanding like how they do it and from the pure sales uh, point of view. And I think that was super instrumental in, in making sure that I at least got up to speed I, I, I asked my manager at the time, like, why, why me? Like, because we were, it was just a reorg. So why did you assume I could do this? And she said, you're a Googler. You can do anything. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you need to be able to thrive in ambiguity. And that's what Googliness means. So figure it out. There's a lot of people at this company. So I use my network. Google's got a, my impression, at least you two will be able to speak to this more accurately, is yeah. that like the micro kitchens that are scattered across the offices and all of the systems that seem to be in place are trying as best you can to get cross-pollination across teams. So encouraging you to be free to ask a completely different team doing different things like for their insight and use that information. So is that something that is fostered within the organization or just something that you also, you know, you had your network and managed to reach out to them independently? <laughs> oh, like you, you meet so many people in the micro kitchen. It's such an amazing place. Yes. There's great snacks and great drinks and coffee and tea and tea, green tea is where I, at Google is where I discovered like <laughs> how much I love it. Um, and it's also part of the UK. So I think <laughs> being in the UK, everyone's drinking tea. You have to have a, your favorite. 
and it, and it was the micro kitchens that brought out the green tea and me. Um, but just meeting people, um, you'll hear some conversations and then you can turn around and say, hey, oh, I hear that you're working. Sorry, I hear you're working on X, Y and Z. Like, do you mind if I put time in your calendar to learn a bit more? Um, not that you're eavesdropping or anything, but like people are open mm. in the micro kitchen. We're all at the same company. And um, you I've heard different stories of people who have met um, their manager of their next role or the director of their next role, just in the micro kitchen. And adding to that, you, in addition to that, you could also, you know, look up someone in our directory. And if there's someone you really want to talk to, or you have a role that, you know, seems really interesting to you, you can actually just pop time, send an email and pop time in their calendar, 30 minutes. Um, And also events at Google. We have so many like, um, informal, formal social events um, where you get to meet directors and VPs just walking around and uh, potential managers. So yeah, that's where sometimes the extrovert side of things uh, matters, where you can say, hey, I'm Jem. I work on the Google for Education team. Um, I'm really interested in X. I see that your your team is doing Y. Like, oh, that's interesting. I'd love to talk a bit more please put time in my calendar. Those are the best conversations Um, because they're really busy people. So when they offer you that time, even if you don't have anything to talk about, take it and you'll find something. (laughs) So yeah, micro kitchens are key. I agree. And I also work at Google and I haven't been at Google for as long as Jam. And I would say I 100% agree with everything she's just said. And I think you get out what you put in. You know, if you Mm -hmm. take yourself along to those events that, are run by teams within Google. And most of the events that happen internally are actually just run by people who are doing it on the side of their job, right? Whether it's through an employee resource group or they're arranging talks with authors. Um, All of these different things are just where you will bump into people and have the opportunity to meet them. And the, Mm -hmm. the culture of being able to just have those conversations and put time in someone's calendar or ping with a quick question has really opened my eyes to how you can be open as an organization, but you are reliant still on the individual's really making that culture, right? When you get to the size of Google, you you can only do so much as leadership, right? It's on everyone to make that a part of the culture. It's on everyone to make it acceptable to put time in my calendar and openly chat to other people about what I do and and allow them time with me as well and vice versa. Um, Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Sounds like we're full circle back to kind of inherent leadership skills there, aren't we? From where we started, rowing team and everything else. Yes, you know, lead by example. <laughs> There's a question I get asked in relation to some of the work that I've done, like connected to Google, is people will ask me, do they really have 20% time? Um, so, Jem, have you ever taken up the 20% time oh, opportunity? Definitely. Definitely. And that's what, you know, that's the beauty of being at Google. You get 20% of your time to work on projects you're passionate about. And being co-chair of the Black Googlers Network in the UK was what I used my 20% time for. Um, And now I'm leading representation work on BGN EMEA steering committee. So like I'm able to use these opportunities to also build my uh, leadership skills and build additional skills and um, talking to different parts of, of Google and understanding um, representation across the board and making sure that, um, you know, the BGN community is aware of um, um, how staffing works and how um, referrals work and, you know, the ins and outs. And that's part of like some of the things that I do um, in my spare time to make sure it, my, I, my philosophy is awareness is key, Right. Same thing, you know, working with the students in Africa. They didn't know they could participate in the online marketing challenge. They'd never have a winner in their own category. It was um, Middle East and Africa was one category, but Africa never won because they didn't know. (laughs) So so same thing with um, my role on the steering committee is to also educate uh, Googlers internally on how to work with staffing and and make sure representation is is seen across um, EMEA uh, in different ways, but um, I use my twenty percent time to grow my skills, um, 
which could later be used in other roles should I, you know, decide to do something else um, within Google. That's really interesting. I, uh, I think, uh, so obviously from a, from a teacher background, I haven't, and I, I, as though I do work for an organization now, it's quite small and, you know, we're disparate across the world. So the, the thing I haven't really done is work in such a place. I mean, the schools I worked in, we, we had great people in, but you're just sort of going 100 miles an hour day to day to to sort of make sure that that experience with the students is as right. uh, smooth and effective as it can be. Um, so it interests me a lot. And I'm sure a lot of people, just, well, if anyone's listening, um, they'd, be really, <laughs> they'd be really fascinated by that too. Thank you for sharing that. Also oh, no giving me a little insight into I interviewing tell, Dean as well. Yes, I tell anybody who's new to Google, like, 20% time is key. I know sometimes you, I don't, it's actually 120%, but um, it's always good to utilize that. And it doesn't have to be with like a, a group or anything like that. It could be 20% time working on a team that you actually really like and that builds relationship and trust so that whenever there is a role on that team, they're going to think of you. Um, and it also can build additional skills you don't, you didn't have. Um, so that when you do apply, it's like, oh, yeah, I worked with that person on on this on this project. Um, and it's also good for teams within Google to test roles. So there are two things that I really want to touch on before we have to wrap up. Mm-hmm. The first is from coming into this sales team that you'd, you'd never done or been in a sales role before. So from 2015 to now, what has changed and what do you do now? And oh. then the second thing that I want to find out about before you go is that it's really clear that leadership is this theme that goes through your whole career. And I use the word career, not as just like a single place that you've worked or a single thing that you've done, but amongst all the different things. And you also then branched out and started a separate business called Tribe Dash. That mm-hmm. I want to talk about as well. Yeah. So perhaps let's start with where you are now and talk to okay. us about how that has amalgamated from that first move into the sales team. So my role has sort of morphed into almost like like a partner manager, but then um, still has a sales element to it. So which so it mix it mixes both worlds. So relationship building as well as uh, the sales side that we already have um, on our team. And this was kind of like an untouched market or a group um, that we we just didn't really explore that until until I think it's been been two years now since I've been really focused on building this channel um, and upskilling. Right, it goes back to the issue they just weren't aware <laughs> they just weren't mm-hmm. aware that they can be partners, they can learn about Google, upskill their staff, and provide choice for schools. You you. I hear in a, a lot of conversations meeting new partners, oh, we just didn't know. So we didn't want to promote something or push something that we didn't, we weren't confident in, in delivering or deploying. So building this program, making sure that, that there's enough trainings for these partners, um, helping them understand how to build a business um, with Google for Education and while servicing schools and providing choice um, was key. Building this in, into the role that I have now, I'm, I absolutely love it. Like I, I think I'm suited for it, right? Um, and I'm always thinking of new things and open to new ideas to help build this program out even more to make sure that the partners in the UK that do service um, education in schools are um, equipped to, to help schools make decisions. Um, and then on to your, so that's what I'm doing now. So I'm lead for managed service partnerships um, around like the, I, would, I like to call it a side hustle. <laughs> Cause I believe yeah, everyone, yeah, tell us about your side hustle. everyone needs a side hustle. I don't care. Everybody needs to have something on the side that they're passionate about. Um, yes. Google gives us opportunity to do that, but then you should also have something outside of your, your core uh, world of work. And so I started um, a group called Tribe Dash, and it's um, I just help groups travel. 
right? Um, I I, tra- I have a lot of girlfriends that I travel with and it's WhatsApp groups left and right. Like, oh, and there's always one, everyone has a role to play. But I thought, I'm sure there's other groups who hate where there's one person that has to plan everything. Um, and I decided to be that person for these groups. So my first group trip was at the end of last year. We actually took um, about a hundred people to Ghana for the year of return. And this was because um, a group in Oakland, California called Afropolitan Group, which is like a young professional network um, of people from all over uh, the Bay Area, um, but they all had it like an affinity for, for African culture. Um, they wanted to be a part of the year of return. So the year of return in Ghana, um, 2019 marks 400 years um, since the end of slavery. Um, and so Ghana has a lot of the slave dungeons. And so it's still preserved till this day. And it was a great way to connect the diaspora to their roots. And so I worked really closely with this organization um, to bring a hundred of their uh, members to Ghana and um, really showcase the beauty of the country. Cause I go there at least twice a year um, in my adult life. And, um, I, I loved it. So I built the itinerary around culture, fun and history. So, um, there was enough time for them to explore. There was enough time to learn about, uh, history and going to see the, the slave dungeons and, you know, hear their history. Um, it was a very emotional trip, but they were grateful to be able to come home, quote unquote, during the year of return where there were many people feeling the same way. Um, And so the goal is to really work with groups and it'll be different countries, but for now I'm, I'm going to stick with, with what I know. So I know Ghana, I know, I know Kenya and, you know, any other places will, you know, that I really love will build things around that. But I wanted to start my first trip in a place that I knew really well. And also being a part of the year of return really helped people want to come back. Right. Um, So it was a lot of work. It was a big trip. Um, And I used my network. Oh my, we had a police escort take us to Cape coast where uh, from Accra to Cape coast where the castle were, because it's three hours and being on a bus for three hours and Traffic is not cool. So when you call up your friends, um, we had a we got a police escort to to take us through to uh, Accra to Cape Coast. So um, yeah, use your network, guys. <laughs> but yeah, Tribe Dash is something I'm super passionate about. I love travel. Um, I love Ghana, and just mixing the two was a great opportunity. So we'll see what happens. That's incredible. I mean, the, the, like you said, and it sounds like an incredibly, I imagine a lot of tears and a lot of laughter on that trip in, in yes, the middle of everything. Sure. That must have been so intense. And it opened up um, people's eyes to, to Africa. Like, yes, Africa, 54 countries, but they had never been. And you have this idea of what Africa is in your mind. And you're like, actually, this could be Brooklyn. Like this could be, you know, somewhere in the South. Like there are buildings there, especially in Ghana, like there aren't lions and tigers running around. <laughs> you're not going to go on a safari in Ghana. Like it's not happening. Um, people live in mansions. People live in slums. Like there are so many sides to it. And it was a gr- really great opportunity for people to to see that, I was going to say, yeah. I mean, we've we've definitely had with my two boys where there, there's some misconceptions they've had about different places around the world, and I think um, Africa is definitely one where they, I think, through the charity stuff, right, where the yeah. it often comes up as, oh, we can give to uh, to less fortunate people, and and that seems to be the place that they naturally go. Um, and yeah, we had to do some work with them on giving a bit of balance to like. Yes, the, there is poverty, but there's poverty in everywhere. everywhere. You can find it everywhere. And equally, there's prosperity and opportunity and skills and all these things too. And that right. was a bit, there's a bit of a moment where we're like, oh, that, that sounds like you, you've got the wrong impression there. Um, yes, and I'm so glad you, you had that conversation with your children. I think given the climate today, this is the time. Like if, any, if there wasn't a better time, this is it to educate 
um, the next generation. Um, educate your friends on, you know, common misconceptions about certain places. Um, and I, I, I do appreciate that. You already know that, but you don't want to leave it up to assumption or leave it up to chance, <laughs> assuming your kids already know that as well. Um, so yeah, I, anyone else, anyone listening, definitely educate your children on, on common misconceptions of different groups of people. What I love about what you did with Tribe Dash Gem is it's like you, you brought together a personal passion for travel. You found a group that had a need that needed covering. So you found like a niche. Um, it was very specifically the year of return in Ghana as well. So it was a perfect time to do it. You reconnected people or connected people for the first time with a place they'd never been before. Yeah. Um, but you made it a business as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I think sometimes people forget that you can still be a business and you can make money and have a job and still yeah. do good. Um, and I just wonder how, how does that, how does that feel to be able to do that as your side hustle as well? And as people think about their side hustles, <laughs> it's tough. Um, so it's definitely not my core, right? It's not my core role. Um, but it's tough because you have late nights. Um, there's a blogger that I follow called uh, Hyatt Rita. She's also Ghanaian, but lives in Chicago, but she has something called, she has multiple businesses. She actually works at Facebook now. She has multiple businesses and she says, you need to have shifts. So you have your nine to six, nine to seven. And then every day from seven to nine, you're working on your passion project or your business, right? So think of it as a second job um, and then you'll, you'll, you'll find time to do it. But because you're so passionate, you need to almost be obsessed with your side hustle. Because yes, there are days where I'm tired, but there are 50 people, 60 people, 70 people, a hundred people that need emails for their trip. So you're going to make it work. Right. Um, and then you bring in expertise where you need it. Um, which is why I, I called on a lot of people in my network in Ghana to help, um, with the logistics sides on, on ground. Because again, people already have these misconceptions. So I'm like, nah, we got to give them an exclusive tour of the country that I love, right? So <laughs> I had to just really know, yes, I'm passionate about it, but it's also a service you're providing. So it needs to be top notch for the reviews. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great, it's a great place to sort of potentially wrap up if we are going to in the the reason we started the podcast was around this kind of feeling that careers, jobs these days are not quite so straightforward as maybe they have been in the past where there's a trajectory that is pretty obvious to people. Um, and I think, I think what you've, you've shown there is from someone studying public health at university in the US, you know, at that point, there's no trajectory that says go to World Cup, visit some family in Ghana, get a job at Google in Ghana, move to the UK start all these networks, start Tribe Dash, all this kind of stuff just doesn't fit on a, on a route. And I think what we wanted to try and expose was that, that whoever you are, whatever you're doing, the, there are no particular rules to follow. And I think that passion, that purpose is definitely the thing that, that taps you into the, kind of the next opportunities. Yes. Um, I would also say be open to change. Um, there, like really quickly, there was a period of time when I was moving between Ghana and Nigeria where I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And it was the Google Ghana country manager at the time, Estelle, that said, don't leave, don't go back to the US. There's opportunity here. Like she really opened my eyes to, to why it made sense for me to be like to stay. Right. And that's where when I got the idea, uh, the opportunity to work in the Nigeria office was through fact that I stayed, I networked, I stayed connected, um, and then got that role. Because when they were building this new role in Nigeria, it was like, oh man, who do we, (laughs) who do we get? And I got an email, hey, there's this opportunity in Nigeria, do you want to move? And I'm like, great, I'm already in Ghana, 45 minute flight, and I can do the role. So being open to opportunities, because I don't, if I had gone back to the US after my first contract with Google, like, I don't know, if I would even be in this particular role, um, 
I know I would be successful, but I didn't, I don't, I don't think I would have been in this particular role. So I've got, I've got one. So just before we started yeah. recording, you yeah. mentioned that you were doing a course, a voiceover course. Yes, I am. Thanks to COVID. <laughs> which, which also obviously relates back to the cassettes you made for your mum, right? So yes. is that the, is that the next side hustle? Yes, actually, you know, it, it's like you're in my mind. <laughs> so yes, you always have to um, keep building on things you're passionate about, and so. Started taking these voiceover lessons um, with a company called 4C Voices. Um, it's, a, it's a company that really wants to um, help with diversity in the in the voiceover industry. Um, and there's a lot of work out there, right? And again, it's great that I love the sound of my voice. And so when I'm practicing the scripts and you know tr- trying to find my niche. Um, it's been really useful doing these lessons and we'll be recording a, a demo reel soon and sort of get my voice out there. I've done a, a little, I've done some stuff here and there. Like I did a, a commercial in Ghana uh, when I first moved there because um, they, the voice art over artist they wanted at the time um, was charging too much and they needed an American voice. So someone said, Oh, I, this girl, Jen, I know her. <laughs> she work again. I mean, that's my network. But I didn't, I mean, I should have asked for a higher, higher pay, but I was just so happy. <laughs> I just did this commercial. Um, it's on YouTube. I may send it to you guys. It's still there. Um, and then I also, when we did the Google Student Ambassador Summit in Kenya, um, we needed a voiceover for the video as well. So I just did it because it was my program. I'm like, I'm not paying anyone to do this. I'll just do it. Um, And then one day, I think it was my second year here in the UK, I was at a conference representing Google for Education and I had a table and this lady came up to me, you know, wanted to know more about the product. And then at the end, she was like, "I, I don't need this, but your voice do you are you <laughs> I was like but I just did this whole pitch about why Google Apps at the time is great um and she was like no thank you but um I need your voice and it was this financial tutoring company um uh, financial literacy company called Bullion I think yeah Bullion um and they asked me to do um like a whole section like it's like 14 pages worth of stuff for one of their um uh, financial literacy uh, apps. Uh, so it, it was, it was very interesting. Uh, so I've dabbled in it, but I want to be, uh, like professional. So, so yeah. cool. I can't uh, wait to hear more about this as you, as you get into this as a, as a second side hustle. I'm just waiting for like watching the TV, watching something one day and be like, well, I know that voice. That's what happened with, um, the Ghana one. At first we thought it was going to be radio. And then my cousin, uh, called me. She was at a. Uh, she went to the movies, and in Ghana, it's all commercials. Like you don't really get trailers; it's just local commercials. And so she was like, "Jim, I heard this voice. Like this, la- it's not you. It's not your face, <laughs> but somebody sounds like you." And I was like, "What? What's the commercial?" She said, "Eddie's Pizza." And I was like, "Yeah, that's me. <laughs> they use my voice with someone else's face." Please send us the video because we'll definitely put it in the show notes. Jim, this is, uh, it's been so good to chat to you today and just find out more about your journey into the job that you're in now. And um, I can't wait to just continue to chat to you and find out more and just uh, watch you continue to go. And I I know that you're going to go places that you said, there's no doubt that you're already (laughs) successful and you'll continue to see success because you're so driven. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. Like, this was fun, actually. If you could have, if you could say one thing now to people that maybe they're in a career that they don't feel particularly happy with, they're not having, they're not meeting their personal mission or having that impact, or perhaps someone just leaving university that is thinking about going into a career for the first time, what's your one top tip? And you've already given us plenty of nuggets, by the way. I really liked that your network is your net worth. That's going to stick with me. What, what's your kind of top tip that you would give those people? Um. I would say, yeah, like I said earlier, be open. 
right? You have to be open. You have to talk to people. No one knows what no one knows what you're going through unless you 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 say it. So if you tell your friend, hey, I'm not really feeling my role. I'm not interested anymore. I'm interested in X. Well, what if that friend knows someone who's in a role that's that that you want, right? Can you connect me? Be don't be afraid to ask. Can you connect me, right? And um, if you're in university, I would always say join a lot of these like online groups. Um, whether it's LinkedIn, LinkedIn has like meetups and things like that, and, and I think it's meetup.com. Join groups that you're interested in um, because you never know who you're going to meet. You never know who's presenting at these meetups one day, um, and when these tech companies have events like Google, we have events for externals all the time. Yeah. People like the topic, but they come to these events because they want to network with people who work at Google. So um, do the same thing for any other company that you're interested in. So I just, I just say be open and just talk about what you want or what you're interested in. No one knows what you're thinking. (laughs) So if you're at a job you don't like, and you don't say anything, we can't help you, <laughs> you know? So speak up and be open. I love that. And then I, if people continue to pay it forward, right? That's yeah. the key as well. I, someone helped me and I continue to do it. And Dean, I, I know you do the same, same with Ben. So if you finally make it to where you're happy, please, please, please pay it forward. Um, it's the only way to be blessed. <laughs> Jem, thank you so much for this today. It's been really awesome chatting to you. Yeah, no absolutely. Thank you guys.